0: Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode number 1123. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris here, and we have a conversation today that I know is just going to be outstanding. We're going to cover a lot of great ground. It's going to be a fun conversation ever since spinning off of fantasydrafthelp.com to cover all subjects uh, on this show, not just sports. Uh, we've always remained tethered to football. We, of course, have that graph on our main page, and it shows that. Uh, ahead of the pro graps, ahead of TV reviews, and politics, geopolitics, and the other high-minded things that we like to get to when we can. Football has always been our number one topic on the show here, and what a guest we have on to be able to discuss the current state of the NFL today. It is a real pioneer in the field. Uh, to my knowledge, the first person doing uh, analytics on a regular basis on a sports show, of course, uh, back on sports Center a couple of years ago before moving on, to the NFL Network, NFL.com, doing great work there. Game day morning, where, of course, she is a regular. And uh, just to kind of bring up some past guests on the show here and and, and, uh, some similarities that I kind of see, I had been watching some stuff recently on YouTube about one of our past guests, Steve Sable, and I came across that quote that he had about seeing the game in a different way. And I feel like this is a guest who really kind of does that in her own way. As far as the cutting edge of the 2010s and where we're going in football with modern insights, uh, I sort of feel like taking that torch in a way from Steve Sable and kind of moving it forward as far as how we see and how we understand uh, the game. And uh, just in, in looking at some of the other guests that we've had on the show over a period of time, uh, whether it be, uh, we, we, we've always tended to get them sort of when they've Uh, been at sort of the crest and have kind of completely made their name as opposed to doing so uh, kind of in progress. If you're talking about Bob Barker or Steve Perry or Tommy Lasorda, we didn't get a chance for example to talk to Steve Perry after Journey Escape. It was after he'd already uh, built his career but uh, with everything that she's accomplished thus far and everything she's going to accomplish in the future, it's going to be very exciting to see it unfold and we get to talk to her as it is a work in progress. I speak of course of the great Cynthia Freeland from the NFL Network. Cynthia, welcome to the show. It is a real pleasure to have you in the FDH Lounge today.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me, and I need you to come around everywhere with me and give a really nice intro like that. I mean, Steve Stable, that's amazing company. Yep, I will take you everywhere.
0: Let's well, go. You know, at the risk of uh, appearing to compromise my own sincerity, I pride myself on being a hype man. So it is sincere, but I try to be a good hype man for the guests. So, you know, hey, that I is... I appreciate it. Well, I—that's—that's I, that's the level of respect I have for you, and I, I set this aside actually to mention subsequently as well here, uh, the podcast that you do because it was something that I'd stumbled on during the last football season, and it's one of these things where we get this analogy in life about chocolate and peanut butter going together. Well, I got to tell you. Going back to the days on Fox Sports Radio with PMS, I am a big fan of Matt Money Smith also, and I came across this. I mean, my first reaction was, wait a minute, Matt Money Smith and Cynthia Freeland are doing a podcast together? Uh, Game Theory and Money. And uh, it has uh, definitely lived up to my expectations and uh, any of my friends that I've passed it along to as well. Uh, It certainly has. I mean, uh, you and Money are, uh, not to be a cliche, but Money together. Well,
1: thank you. Honestly, Matt Money Smith is legend and getting to work with him is so cool because he makes me better he teaches me so much and I do think it's a different way you're totally right but money makes them so fun and I don't know I like I love I like real I think like I'm like creepy love Matt like he I, I was like like can you take a picture with me Matt money's great. I love you <laughs> so, I fan girl over him so it's
0: all good <laughs> oh yeah yeah I mean and that, well that's that's what's fun is, is listening to the show is it, that's one of the things that we love on this show is whenever we find you know smart people who don't take themselves too seriously so you guys are breaking down knowledge but it's never too serious when it's you guys doing it it keeps it engaging and you know, that's that's a very uh, interesting thing. Of course, he does a lot of work with NFL media as well. So, what were the origins? How did this come together as far as the idea of you and him doing a show together? Because it just, if like I said, it feels like such a natural.
1: Yeah, we worked together on Fantasy Live my first year at the NFL. So, 2016 was the first season I was at the NFL Network. And we were on Fantasy Live, and our bosses actually said, hey, we want to create a podcast because there's really no area for you to showcase kind of on a weekly basis all of the stuff that you're doing. Because we do smaller segments across a lot of different shows that are two or three minutes long, and you can't quite get into that depth. So being able to showcase a little bit more about everything that, you know, all the different algorithms and all the different ways we can break down the game, but when we were talking about it, it was like, we need something that makes it fun and palatable, and I need someone who just... Understands me, and after having worked with money for so long, you know it was a really great I was so psyched that our bosses saw it. You know that's that's my guy. He's the best. So it was it was really fortunate for me because you know he's someone one of, one of the people I'm most comfortable with. You know in terms of other talent to work with like ever. And I've worked with a lot of awesome people. So you know he's awesome and makes me better. Like I said, so. That's the, the bosses thought, and then we, we just had all this extra information, and we were like, Where, where's a great place to put it? So the podcast was a natural fit.
0: It's a great combination. Can't recommend it highly enough to people. And uh, in terms of your work with uh, NFL media, uh, one of the more uh, recent things that you have been doing over the course of this NFL offseason, the AAF analytics here during our short-lived AAF league that was out there. and. It was it was interesting to me because, yeah, I would watch that and it would be a thing where, t- to be honest with you, and I respect the work you're putting into it, but I- I'm watching it and I'm thinking to myself, you know, the separation between these players, I'm thinking in my own head, it's like angels dancing on the head of a pin as far as all these guys who most of which would never be in the NFL, so... In order to do something like that, again, props to you for, uh, again, trying to find levels of separation that were there between the different players and everything. So what was some of the process? What was kind of going through your head trying to find these points of differentiation between these players?
1: The AAF was interesting for a couple of reasons, because the first one, and it, it if people got it, I'm sure you got it, but it was like there was some different rules. Right. So they were trying to really create, an opportunity for O-linemen to get a bit more, you know, experience and take reps in certain situations without specific types of blitzes. I mean, I it, there, there were kind of complicated rules, but ultimately it, it limited the number and, and, um, where the blitz could be coming from. Mm-hmm. So like the number of people who came and where they could be coming from. So O-linemen had a chance to really develop a bit more, which was helpful in turn that also helped quarterbacks develop a little bit more on that ball. Well. And, Consequently, what we saw on the other side of the ball was actually really interesting. We saw like corner and defensive back play as well as up front play, mostly true edge rushers just because of the, the distance that they played. We saw kind of the interplay between those two things like all working together. So what you what you got was you got a good product on the field, but you got basically a way to look at kind of like take the speed out of the beginning of the snap of the play in football and let it develop a little bit more so maybe the game the idea was that the game could come to the players they could be more useful for a longer amount of time and really get the development at a closer speed to nfl speed than anything else that you have out there especially considering college programs don't all play pro style offenses there's there's a lot of differences so they were trying to create a kind of a more apples-to-apples comparison for the NFL, so like a step in between. And I think that they really achieved that. So it was interesting from my standpoint because I took things like computer vision, where I could overlay onto the video. I could overlay sort of basically like think of geometric lines, right? And I could measure the difference. And then I could also measure the speed, and I could measure things that, you know, could help me compare it to the NFL game. So you could see which of these players has the highest chance of performing like an NFL player based on their movement patterns, the situations they were in. And of course we know a little bit about these coaches because, you know, Mike Marks, we got a we have a wealth of information out about how he coached in the NFL. So we can see how that might translate, you know, to what it would be in the alliance. So we got a chance to I got a chance to really look at things through a number of different lenses to help I mean we used all those Alliance guys get snapped up at the end of the season, and I think primarily the defensive backs are the ones who I think are going to have the most success.
0: Yeah, and again, as you just demonstrated there, your analysis of it, uh, you, you really took this material and, and I thought made the most of it in terms of uh, these players that, again, we didn't know anything about, and there really wasn't any kind of knowledge on, on about 95% of them or more to the general public. So it was very enlightening what you were uh, doing there. I want to ask you a question about uh, the present state of analytics in sports and and where we are now as we're recording this in mid-June 2019 because there is a moment. I I had a conversation with uh, one of our show contributors the other day. Uh, our basketball editor, Ben Chu, who uh, managed to uh, predict that Toronto would win the NBA Finals. I I wimped out, as much as I, as a lifelong resident of America's North Coast, as much as I hate the Warriors. I said Warriors in 5 when we did our preview, but he predicted Toronto, and more to the point of the question I'm asking you, 538 did. There were models out there that were predicting Toronto to win the Finals. so. If they hang on, as it looks like they're going to do as we're recording this, but if that happens, is this going to be something of a milestone here where maybe we're not so quick to disregard what the computers are saying? Because there there were models out there like 538 showing this, and yet myself and the overwhelming majority of pundits out there were saying Golden State. So if Toronto can pull this off, it feels to me like it could be a milestone moment as far as trusting the computers, even when our eyes and everything else are telling us a different thing. So how, how do you see that?
1: So I would never say that. I don't know. I, to me, your your input to your computer model, the output is only as good as your inputs, right? So you should have a lot of really well trained eyes that help you process the information a lot faster. So it's less about. Cause did any of those like the, the problem is is I don't. I'm unfamiliar with other people's basketball models. I only know my own really because mm-hmm. I've been focusing on football. So you know. Predicting Kevin Durant not playing, predicting, you know, Klay Thompson getting hurt and not being 100%, like, that's really hard to do. So ultimately for me, of course there's going to be great models and simulations, but it's only as good as what you put into it. And the more you can use empathy and the more you can use human knowledge and true basketball or football or whatever sport you're looking at, knowledge, and just process that information really, really fast, that's kind of your better use case, right, your more reliable use case. Because what you'd like to create is a model that helps you be the best version of you. So these models aren't, like, magic that come from nowhere. And like, a lot of people don't understand, like, how it how it really works. What you do is you take historical data, and then you take the most predictive parts of it. And that's the hard part is finding which are the most predictive parts and why. Because I don't know what Bill Belichick called, and I don't know, you know, what the theory behind the Raptors' strategy was, necessarily, right? I can see what I observed on the court. I can see what I observed on the football field. The more that I can relate what a really smart coach and and NBA and NFL coaches are very smart, the more I can put that into my model – the more reliable my model is. Now, 538 is an awesome model. I'm not, I don't know exactly all that goes into it just because I haven't been at ESPN for three years, but, you know, ultimately they have access to really great lines. I, I, I don't know other people. Like I said, it's hard to look at other people's models, especially for basketball when you're focused on football. So ultimately the more, the better my model does is when I take into consideration what coaches are trying to do and whether or not it's working. Right. So, All I try to do with mine is I try to be this, like, exceptional listener, and I try to convey value through listening to what they're trying to do, what's going on, and then making those exceptions and putting them into the math so that the math can help me be the best version of someone who interprets it. It's not, you know, there's no, you know, there's no magic sauce. You have to create the magic yourself, and then you have to refine it, and then you have to listen some more. So it's always the interplay between the person who, you know, the, the basketball mind and the analytics mind or the football mind and the analytics mind. Like it's it's all a way to work together more efficiently.
0: Those are excellent points, Cynthia. And again, and, and I, I think actually you kind of poked a hole in my way of thinking there because I, I do think when we come out of this, I think that there are going to be people uh, that, that are looking at this, because I'm already kind of seeing it already, knowing that 538 and some other ones are out there like, oh, gee, maybe we should have believed a little bit more in Toronto. But it's one of these things where, like you pointed out, with the Clay Thompson injury, because I think that had a ripple effect here, because obviously – they had a very tiny chance of winning game three. And then game four, you could see the usage catching up to Steph Curry. So you could see that. So And, and that was something, again, completely unforeseen at the beginning of the series. So you, you may see a move out there on Twitter and other places to, to really credit uh, analytics and the predictive models here on this ahead of time when I'm certainly not saying 538 got lucky or anything like that, but they may be right for reasons that couldn't be foreseen before the series. Those are excellent points on your part.
1: Yeah, I mean, but ultimately, like, look, like, I created a model last, last August. I went on TV and I said that it was going to be the Kansas City Chiefs against the New Orleans Saints in the Super Bowl. And I was basically inconsolable on Championship Sunday. <laughs> I was like, I'm so close, but so far. So ultimately, the further out from an event that you're predicting – the harder it is to predict, right? Like, I don't, you know, the football season is funny because one major injury can shift everything. See, you know, the San Francisco 49ers, for example, you know, losing their quarterback or when Aaron Rodgers gets hurt. So ultimately, you know, you have to get a little lucky with it. And I don't think, you know, I don't think any analytics person would deny that there's an element of, you know, injury and luck and, you know, human behavior that you cannot account for so the further out you are from something you know like like to me it's all it's a strategic toolkit right it's like i used to be i used to work in investment banking and creating a model that helped you pick the best stocks like you can't foresee if you know there's a big fire and someone's warehouse burns down and you've already bought their stock you know there's there are just things that happen that you have to be adaptable to and the further out you are like you know, the chance of predicting that unforeseen fire you know you know, five years in advance is really hard, you know, so ultimately what you're doing is you're adapting and you're really learning from the data a lot. So that, I, just, I, know, I don't like when people think that it's exclusive. I think analytics is inclusive because it allows for creative minds to be better understood. It's a communication tool. It's a way of getting people on the same page, and it's a way of looking at a lot of data all at the same time very quickly, which helps you make an educated decision because we have biases towards what happened most recently, we think that's going to happen again. It's natural. It's human. You know, it's human psychology that's that. So ultimately, being able to look at like data with a more pragmatic view is what I'm going for.
0: Absolutely. And again, you, you, I know from following your career, you're not the type. You've never made. Excuses, but uh, again, trying to be a good hype man here for the guest, I'll do it for you. There, but for the referees in the NFC Championship game and D four not knowing where the line of scrimmage was in the AFC Championship game, I mean, you you could very well have been right. That's how close it was.
1: I oh, know it was like I said, it was inconsolable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, like I, I, I wouldn't talk to anyone. I was inconsolable.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can understand it, but again, I like I said, I think I think you could take satisfaction from. Uh, you know, there, but for the grace of God, you would have been right on that. And uh, again, they, they, these these models are uh, incredibly uh, difficult to be able to uh, compile. And uh, therefore, uh, that therein lies the value of uh, 538, folks like yourself who are able to do this. So what I'd like to ask about uh, in, in terms of this as we look towards the next NFL season, because this has got to be one of the more intriguing things to me as an NFL fan as well as, God help me, a lifelong Cleveland Browns fan. So everything going the way of my hometown team here at the moment. But for somebody like you, in trying to fashion a model of what's going to happen... I would imagine that this is probably uh, not a very easy thing at this point because you, you can eyeball it, you can look at the talent that's being added, but you've, you've got some other things obviously at play here as well. Brand new defensive system with a new coordinator, new offensive system, they're incorporating what was being done in Tampa, a little bit of the air raid, which uh, you've got to figure is going to help... Uh, Uh, Baker Mayfield, uh, because it kind of plays to his strength. So you've got an amalgam of different factors here, uh, as well as, again, some things that really can't be quantified. First time uh, NFL head coach, albeit one who, again, has a very good uh, relationship with all the key players on the team, was very much respected in his uh, previous capacity on this team. So as you're looking at this team and you're fashioning a model, like I said, I would guess that this would be one of the more challenging ones because of uh, the, the lack of continuity from the end of last season to this season. But what do you think when you see a team like this as as, you're, as they're incorporating all their different changes?
1: So I don't think that it's as hard because there's a little bit more known than you think, right? So we have Freddie Kitchen's lineage, we know he has, like, a Nick Saban component from LSU. Yep. We've seen some of the ways that he has worked with Baker Mayfield in the last part of the season. We know a little bit more about, you know, the weapons, obviously, than when you get a guy... With Odell, you understand where he goes. You have Jarvis. You have a lot of well-established players. It's harder when there's a bunch of rookies. Who Like Arizona is far more difficult for me to forecast because I don't know how they're going to use Kyler Murray specifically, and I'm not sure what's going on with their O-line. You're, the, the Browns are not, I'm not going to say they're easy because it's always difficult, but it's not as hard as all that for a couple of reasons. Um, the hardest thing I'm having – right now is figuring out your O-line because mm-hmm. Zeitler's departure, is, Zeitler's departure is, a, is a big deal. Yes, So that's going to be... That's an interesting part of it for me. But as far as our skill players are concerned, I think, you know, you're in good shape. Like, the Browns are in very good shape and it's like an exciting year and the pressure and Miles Garrett is like... There are a lot of things to be really excited about. So the Browns are actually, for once, not very... Not the hardest team by – not even close. They're probably an average team in terms of how to prep for the season and how to kind of anticipate what, what's going to happen with them. I mean, I feel more confident in what I'll, you know, project for them than I will in for a team like the Cardinals or with with a very questionable O-line and a very questionable quarterback situation. Not that I don't think Kyler Murray's a talent, but that I don't understand how they're going to use him. Sure. I'm head coach. All of
0: Well, yeah, that makes sense, Uh, you know, with him being a rookie and uh, not knowing what the playing status is going to be as far as when to start. I will tell you this, that one of our show contributors, uh, Bob Glassman, who is somebody who, uh, his sense of pessimism a lot of times approaches self-parody, and I think he's gone past self-parody on this one. I mean, I agree with him, and I agree with you that Zeitler is important. But he is already assuming that uh, Olivier Vernon is going to miss most of the season due to some injury. He's gone so far as to say he wouldn't have made the deal for Beckham if it meant losing uh, Kevin Zeitler. I'm going, come on, man, you're taking this a little too far. So I know how much he respects your opinion. Can you back me up on this that he's going too far on that one?
1: He is. I think he's going a little too far. Although I am a big O line fan, I am a big. I think that if you're going to invest somewhere, just invest in that O-line. Get you some, some people up front who are tough, 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 and it's going to make life easier. But I will say Baker's special and his ability to make things happen with a guy like Odell. I don't know who's a better catch-and-run receiver than Odell Beckham Jr. I, I, I implore you to find me one. So mm-hmm. between Baker being an improvisational guy who, I don't know, he's, He's, you know, when he says he wakes up feeling dangerous, I'm like, I just wish I could do that once, just know what it feels like. <laughs> um, and, and then, uh, Odell, and you know, a lot of the special players you have, your tight end special, your, you know, Jarvis Landry special. There's a lot of, there's a lot of great reasons to be. You'll get Kareem Hunt after a few games. Like, there's a lot of good things to be excited. about. Nick Chubb's sick too. That's gonna be awesome. Like, there's a lot to be excited about. So I think that there's a there's there's no reason to. I don't think I would have. I think he, you're right on this one. I, I side on you with you on this one. Also, I will say, your contributor, I'm, I'm within the O-line. It's super important. I just think that now you have a chance to be extra special, and I think that they took it, and I like that move.
0: Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. And as far as what you said about Hunt, this is one of these things as well. I'm so glad you brought up Nick Chubb because I feel like outside of this town, Everybody sleeps on how elite this guy already is. My question on him was, when when they drafted him, and and that's the reason he went to the second round, right? Is he ever going to get back the burst that he had at Georgia before the knee injury? Well, we saw it last year. And again, guys like him, who are big and fast, are unicorns. You can count them on one hand. There's him, there's Elliott. I don't even know if we can put Gurley in there anymore with the uh, rumored arthritis. There's Barkley. I mean, Nick Chubb. This is one of these things where you get a lot of surface level commentary out there like, oh, they got Hunt, they got an upgrade at running back. You know, Hunt's done an awful lot thus far in his career if we just keep it to between the lines and not the stuff he did outside the lines obviously, but I, I, I'm not willing to concede that he's a better running back than Nick Chubb right now. I don't know where you come down on that.
1: I think that you've created a really good option. So, if if you don't know, like look, I don't necessarily believe that we know who Nick Chubb is yet because for me and my like I said, I take a pragmatic view. I don't think we know who Baker is yet because okay. I need three years I need several years of data in order to understand who a player is, which is, you know, two to three years. Two to three years is really depending on how many snaps they play, you know, that's that's where we'll see who they are. And two to three seasons later, then you'll get to see I the burst is there. I'm not worried about Nick Chubb from an injury standpoint. I think that maybe this Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb situation and a shared backfield could be the best thing for both of them because Paying running backs is going to become more expensive. Saquon Barkley is going to command a huge payday. So what you've created there is a Kareem Hunt versus Nick Chubb salary situation, which keeps your cap in wonderful situation going forward should both of them be awesome. Then you can choose between the two. You don't have to take both, and you create, you've create created a more valuable stock by creating two options for yourself, where one, what if, what if they're both great, and then you're like, great, we're, we're comfortable with Nick Chubb, let's steal away Kareem Hunt, and now we're going to get a second-round draft pick for him, or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you've created ultimate options for yourself going forward, which I think is one of the smartest things you can do.
0: Good point, and I, I will try to slow my roll on Nick Chubb a little bit here. Uh, again, we, we need to see more and of him. No, like I,
1: like, I like him, too. I think he's totally underrated. I think people aren't valuing him as highly as they should. But I also understand the sentiment of, this is a, this is a rookie you got You've got to get a few more snaps under your belt, and especially – when teams are expecting you and look he's gonna be a beneficiary of Odell Beckham as well, right? You you cannot you, how many stacked boxes is he gonna face? Yeah probably not gonna be a situation where he's having this horribly stacked box. Like PL Elliott is special because and Saquon Barkley, they're extra special. They had to they face nothing but stacked boxes. Right. Right? They so you have you have to take all that into consideration. And that's where I think like you'll get a chance to see, all right, Let's go. Let's have a race. Let's create value in our running back position, and then we can deal one if we want or not. Or you know, we have ultimate leverage in this situation, and that's great for everyone.
0: Absolutely, very good points there. Uh, now, uh, a question I had alluded to off air, and I had actually even—I I hadn't put all the jigsaw pieces together in my head on this one here, as far as uh, Mike Martz being part of the AAF, because I had alluded to this. This is a question that we have started putting to our football guests. It sort of came up spontaneously in the course of a conversation with ND Kalu, and uh, the, the question is this specifically. We, we, we've gotten some outstanding answers thus far. I know uh, this is going to be par for the course uh, as far as that goes here, because uh, I'm just dying to hear what you're going to come up with on this, but uh, my, my theory, again, it, this goes to Mike Martz, and again, understanding that this is not the man who invented the spread per se, I mean, there, it's a lineage, right, there's there's uh, June Jones and everybody else in there, but Mike Martz is one of the first guys you think of when you think spread, and, and what it did in the early 2000s in the NFL My question is this, because we've never seen the same amount of innovation. I don't think. Some might disagree, but we haven't seen anything as mind-blowing on defense. So my question is this. When we get the Mike Martz of defense in the NFL, when we get somebody who just kind of comes in and blows it all up and does something that we've never seen before, do you have any sense of what that might look like?
1: See, I might argue with you because I can think of two people who I think have kind of done
0: that. Really? Okay. I think Bill Bill
1: Belichick really blew up what you think about defense, because his front seven doesn't operate like most people's front seven. Like He never has this league-leading uh, sack, you know, sack or, you know, top for a lost guy, right? Right. You always have, like, a super efficient, a super efficient front without that. So I think he's, it just hasn't been as sexy. And then you also see, like I think linebacker play has been really interesting, right? Like, the, you saw last season both the Cowboys and the Colts. Now, I'm not calling anyone necessarily a a Mike Mark's level on that, but you saw how those sideline-to-sideline linebackers made just a huge difference, right? Darius Leonard, and then, of course, Leighton and you got and Jalen Smith for the Cowboys. So you got a different look at it where those linebackers, the way that they were used, became super innovative. Now, maybe what could be the, the kind of next wave of that I'm really looking to see, and now I'm, I'm going to make you not happy because I know you're a state fan here, yeah. and this is a Michigan guy. <laughs> but I think that what the Steelers did in trading up, Devin Bush, might be the defensive wave of the future. In that they got a guy who is really good in, like, a linebacker who's really good in coverage. Now Devin White, Devin Bush were the two leading Devons, two leading linebackers in this draft, and both of them play a very different style. Devin Bush in coverage, that's the kind of linebacker of the future. So the guy who can, it can be versatile against tight ends. going can be versatile against pass-fishy running backs. He's going to be keep everything in front of him kind of guy. So that, to me, might be the next wave. Like people love those Devin Bushes. And maybe even it a bit out here, one last one in, in the Chargers, with the way they used all those defensive backs last year, with the Derwin James and the, you know, they used six defensive backs a lot, like a, a ton, right, at partly because of injury. But they had a true slot corner and, and Desmond King and then they went with Sterling James and Adrian Phillips kind of in the middle in the sort of like hybrid roamy positions. So I, I I don't know, like I love watching defense. I think tracking safeties and what happens in the middle of the field is really interesting because you know, it's like chess, right? So it's like, okay, so they change the way we use running backs, okay, we'll change the way they use safeties. Okay, we'll change the way we use tight ends. Okay, we'll change the way we you know what I mean? Like these are the kind of like back-and-forth things that we've got, but I think we're seeing seeds of it out here as
0: well. That's interesting, because you are the first guest uh, to have said that uh, we may have already seen some of this kind of uh, mind-blowing stuff happening already, which, again, doesn't surprise me because of your eye for the game and what you're seeing every week. One of the past guests, I think it might have been Andy Clue. I don't remember if it was the first time out, one of of the more mind-blowing things I'd heard previously was hearing it posited that we may see somebody try to implement a system of three down linemen and eight linebackers slash defensive backs, more or less interchangeable, where where all the assignments might vary from play to play. Uh, and where you're basically just drafting athletes for those spots and trying to coach them on, on a wide range of things that they're capable of doing. Now that again, I, I don't know if we're ever gonna see something that's that far out, but that was that was really one of those things I heard it and I was just like, Whoa, that that gives you something to think about. Well,
1: it really I guess it would really depend on who you have up front because I mean, the Chargers can get away with extra defensive backs like that because up front they've got, you know, two guys that are pretty good at sacking quarterbacks on either side. So it's like where's the pressure coming from, right? Like, if you've got Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa on either side, you're a little less – like you're a little bit more covered than if you only have, like, just, say, one good pass rusher or maybe even kind of no good pass rusher like that, right? Like, two elite pass rushers is a rare situation. I don't know if you could – Really construct that, you know, eight defensive back situation without at least two elite pass wreckers.
0: Yeah, yeah, you you really would need that up front to be able to uh, to wreck that kind of havoc. I think to be able to make it uh, happen. But uh, as we're as we're kind of winding around here uh, for this segment here, something else I wanted to ask about uh, as well here. Something I'm always interested with the uh, guests that we have in terms of some of the processes that they use and in terms of your background and some of your other activities with being very, very uh, active with doing marathons and Pilates and things of that nature, I guess I'm probably more thinking on the marathon angle in terms of asking you about this. I can tell you, as a writer, a lot of times when I'm just able to kind of let my mind go blank, for, for me, I would say probably the best example of that would be being in the shower sometimes, and you think, oh, I can connect this plot point to this plot point, so... Does that ever happen to you, like I said, I would be surprised if if it wasn't marathons more than Pilates, but you're out there, your mind's got a chance to run blank, do you ever come up with, like, sweet segment ideas or anything like that when you're doing some of these other activities?
1: Yeah, I think that I, like, run because I think I'd be crazy if I didn't run, so, Mm -hmm. like, it's like my, like, you know, I, I go out and turn off like no phone no anything no no email just like go for a run and clear my mind and kind of i don't know like i do think about math i can't help it so (laughs) it's just like it's a part of me and i do think about things but i also like i try to i try to like use that space to like not think about (laughs) sure because sometimes creating space is is a really big deal (laughs) sure absolutely so but, I mean, yeah, those, those are good areas. But I will say that actually the teaching Pilates is part of the reason why that actually relates to football is because my first algorithm that anyone cared enough about to buy was in the group fitness space. So I got a chance to learn how to create an algorithm that somebody else had to use, and that was really helpful. I kind of created it in my spare time just because I, it was kind of for my own self-use. I was traveling, and I wanted to take classes that I liked. So, and I found that, like, Yelp reviews suck. So I wanted to figure out, like, what class should I take? So I wrote a little recommendation algorithm that used just text search for myself. And then that evolved into something else and then something else. And that was where I first, like, learned how to, like, kind of translate something really weird into math other than, you know, I was a banker. So I created financial models all the time. And I was a banker at the NFL. So I got a chance to work in a financial capacity at the NFL. So, you know, I, I, they all kind of converged at the same And the same thing, which is funny, but, you know, also, it it, it was good that it all worked out like that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I respect that. And the the ability to to use your your talents in different ways here and uh, to be able to maximize that. And, again, anybody who is looking at your career sees uh, you being able to maximize that very effectively all the way through. Uh, as as we're, uh, again, bringing it sort of all the way around here, looking ahead to the next season, I'm just going to bring it around by asking you this, in terms of if you have any kind of a sense right now, I know obviously as the summer goes along, you'll probably be doing some more with running models, but uh, any kind of early sense of what might happen, my my sense here, and I don't know if it's too early for you to tell me I'm full of beans or not, but gun to my head right now, I would say Eagles over Colts in the Super Bowl. So, any kind cool, of senses. I like it. I'm going out on a little bit of a limb here, yeah. But I mean, if for New England, look, they they you're seeing it right now with the Warriors, right? Those extra games take a toll on you. It happened with my Cavaliers as well, where you get kind of the hangover of the previous seasons here. So I think it's not going to be New England, and if it's and again, I I'd feel like a blind homer if I said Browns, right? So the Colts are a team that's right there. Uh, the Chargers <laughs> are a team that's uh, right there, and uh, sure it would be uh, great to hear. Uh, money be able to call a Super Bowl here, but as far as it goes, again with with that, do you have any kind of sense of of uh, who it might be, or is it a little too soon on your part to say?
1: Well, it's a little too soon. for my models, but I have a, I have just from I have haven't completed running it yet, so you're getting like a really early preview. But nice. I have a, I have, I think a team from the NFC North is going to make it to the Super Bowl, and it's not my Lions because it's not. Um, and, uh, and I think that just based on kind of, uh, scheduled and kind of, I I think it's going to be a team from NFC North. I think two of them will make it to the playoffs and I think one of them will make it to the Super Bowl. I think that's, that's probably where just knowing how the map, again, we don't have final rosters. We don't have a lot of the things that are necessary in order to do that to, to really make how, you know, I stay true to my process, but as a kind of an early peak, I think, I think that's an interesting, an interesting division to keep an eye on. Um, and then, as far as the AFC, I think the Patriots do make the, the postseason. But I think I'm with you on that, and I'm I'm really looking at I right now. It looks like it could be the AFC West for me, okay. so Chiefs or Chargers, probably not the Raiders,
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> so,
1: but um, but uh, you know, one of those few. It's it's where it's tending to look. But again, it will. There's a long way between here and there because I get a chance now that once mini camps are over, coaches are really generous with their time, and I get a chance to really talk to them about changes they're making and things like that. So that's where. But I do think your Cleveland Browns will make it to the postseason. So I think that's good news. I'm not. I'm not worried about them making it to the postseason.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I believe that a hundred percent. And again, your uh, your Lions. Uh, if only that they were on the uh, the same uh, building path as uh, my Red Wings right about now. I've already got the uh, Steve Eiserman. Our Red Wings.
1: We
0: share <laughs> oh, the Red Wings. Very right? nice. Okay, so you're a fan too. Oh God, I, I already just... I already ordered the uh, Steve Eiserman returns T-shirts off the web, and I am. Uh, I'm running around giving a lot of smack to all the Blue Jackets fans around here because, uh, again, they've only been yeah. renting our space in the penthouse, Cynthia. The big bad bullies are going to be coming to kick them out.
1: you remember when Duncan Hat Donuts had that, like, promotion where they got those, like, plastic cups with all the different red wings on it? Yeah. I went made my mom – I didn't drink coffee. Or anything, I was, like, in elementary school or something when that happened. But I was very hungry. I made my mom go, and we – my mom and dad – and we had to, like, get all of the different cups. And I have about, oh, I think something like 10 of the Steve Heisman ones. That's awesome. <laughs> because obviously, <laughs> so I've been trying to find them everywhere because I know I saved them because I love them so much, but I was, I was happy. I went at Lindstrom, I because Pete Chelios is not a, he's not a black arm. Chelios. Right. right. a red wing. Yes. I've got the Chelios, I've got the... I mean, I've got it on we're, we're good. I'm covered on that. Like, that's
0: all we've got You're from Michigan. <laughs> hey, what other fan base, and I can say this seriously, would there be any kind of a market for grind line bobbleheads? I remember they had them at Little Caesars back in the day. Couldn't get them in Ohio here, unfortunately. But, I mean, you know, any fan base that would venerate the fourth line of a team the way that we did and value them, uh, you know, exactly. again. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I,
1: I'm into it. I'm in. Let's
0: go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're coming back, Cynthia. No question about it. And uh, uh, in the meantime, as I said at the outset here, uh, we get to uh, continue to follow everything you got going on. I always love seeing all of your stuff. So, yeah, once it gets a little bit later in the summer and you're out there hitting the training camps again and everything like that, that'll be good stuff. And uh, again, I want to thank you as well—not just for being here, but uh, I, I can say this, uh, you know, for myself and my best friend, whose uh, mothers uh, suffered uh, very grave types of cancers. Your work with uh, Bright Pink as well—great uh, work—to uh, try to keep that from happening to other people as well. So. Uh, you you know congratulations on that work there on everything with your career the way that everything is continuing to to boom here and uh, again wish you nothing but the best going forward and i would love to catch up with you subsequently this was an awesome conversation
1: thank you so much for having me and thank you for bringing up bright pink it means the world to me so really thank you so much
0: excellent thank you cynthia for your time thank you everybody for tuning in to fdh lounge mini episode number 1123